Welcome back. We are in week four of our series, Going for the Gold in 2023. In this episode, we're going to cover chapter four of 1 Corinthians. So Chris, when the Apostle Paul first arrived in Corinth after visiting Athens, a place that was littered with worldly wisdom that amounted to absolutely nothing, as we've been saying for the past few weeks, that might possibly be the reason why Paul came to Corinth with the simple message of Christ crucified, which we talked about in part two of this series. The Corinthian church was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And for that reason alone, it was inevitable that there were going to be divisions in the church. Oh, gosh, yeah. But Paul spent a great deal of time in Corinth getting the church started. After a vision from the Lord telling him that there were many in the city who were his people, Paul spent 18 months there, according to Acts 18, verse 11, before he left and went to Syria. You would think that there would be some cohesiveness starting between the members, but instead, they've got a ton of internal division. Yeah, I think it was the first episode we said they were a hot mess. They're a hot mess. <laughs> They're boastful, and some of the Christians in that church think they're better than the others. They're even leveling criticisms at Paul, who's their original father in the faith. And it was that pridefulness that led them to even questioning Paul's authority, judging him, judging his motives, and they were just a mess. They were a mess, and it's hard for us to, to grasp that, but this isn't a perfect analogy by any situation, but... We are using a sports theme for this study, and it is football season, so I'll go ahead and I'll use it. Rose, I'm sure your household is as happy as mine is, and that's because the Philadelphia Eagles have one more game, and if they win, they're headed to the Super Bowl again. Which, by the way, the Phillies were in the World Series, so it's been a good year for sports and, and for Philadelphia. And we know how Philadelphia sports can be. It can yes. be like an up and down, making you crazy type of thing. So this isn't a perfect analogy of what's happening in the Corinthian church, but I'm going to go ahead and use it. NFL teams, they have a head coach and under him are dozens of other coaches and assistant coaches and stuff like that. Some coach the kickers, some coach offense, some coach defense, and so on and so on. The coaches are not competing against each other for status. They're each doing a specific job that they were hired for. But stop and imagine for a minute what would happen if the players that they were coaching became prideful and boastful, thinking that they knew better than the coaches. What if some of the quarterbacks decided they wanted to be coached by the tight ends coach because they liked his personality better? Or the running backs decided they wanted to be coached by the wide receivers coach because He'd been featured in Sports Illustrated the previous month. What if the players started making these crazy decisions based on superficial, worldly things that had nothing to do with what was best for their training, important for their own good, or important for the good of the team? What if they started tearing down the rest of the coaches who weren't their favorites with their words and eventually tearing down each other? And Chris, like you said, it's not a perfect analogy, but things like this have happened. Not that they wanted to be coached by different coaches, but the players questioned the coaches. 
The players were in competition with each other. Matter of fact, speaking of the Philadelphia Eagles, it happened to the Philadelphia Eagles right after they were in the Super Bowl. And you know what happened? The team was a mess and they had to get rid of a bunch of players. They had to get rid of coaches. It caused strife and division. And it definitely impacted their ability to succeed personally and corporately. And they were not in the playoffs the following year after being in it for like three or four years in a row. And it would definitely impact plenty of people outside of the organization. It would be a waste of incredible gifts and talents that these athletes had, that the coaches had, all in the name of pride. Well, that was exactly what was happening in the church in Corinth. Earthly wisdom, which scripture has told us over and over is just folly, led the congregation to choose their favorite leader and to see themselves as better than others because of the choices they had made. As we saw in chapter 1, 10 to 17, the Corinthian church was split into at least four factions. The members were exalting human leaders one over the other. Some members boasted about following Paul. He hadn't lost the support of everyone. Maybe because he was the first one who preached the gospel to them. He was their church founder. Others loved to listen to Apollos. His oratory skill was excellent. And Acts 18.28 tells us that he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So Apollos knew his stuff. So some people like that. At some point, the apostle Peter, also known as Cephas, had been in Corinth and he had preached. He had his own followers and we aren't told why he had this group of adherents, but they must have liked him because we see in the ninth chapter of this letter that we're going to get to, that this church willingly supported Peter and his wife while Peter was there. And the fourth faction were those who boasted that they followed Jesus. Now, following Jesus isn't wrong, but being prideful about it is, since your salvation is a gift of God, not your stellar choice that you make. Yeah, exactly. We have nothing to brag about in our salvation and everything to be humble and appreciative about. This division within the church is definitely about pride. It's about the pride of the members in the congregation. The pastors weren't competing with each other. Paul, Apollos, Peter, they weren't competing with each other. And certainly Jesus isn't competing with anyone because he doesn't have to. Right. And he appointed all those guys. So yes. David Guzik says this in his commentary. He says, the Corinthians boasting about their party leaders was really boasting about themselves. It wasn't so much that they thought Apollos was great, but that they were great for following him. Has a lot of ring of familiarity to it, Chris. It really does. They weren't just choosing their favorite leaders. They'd also been judging Paul and the other pastors, even going so far as to judge their motives. Unlike the false teachers that we looked at last week who were perverting God's word and making themselves out to be the saviors of their congregants, Paul makes it abundantly clear that the pastors that the Corinthians have been boasting about are true servants of the Lord and that they're fellow servants of the Lord working towards the same goal. In chapter 4, 1, and 2, Paul says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's right. 
like you said, Chris, in another episode, they weren't choosing between Beth Moore and Paul Washer. No, they certainly were not. This word for servant that's used in the scripture that you just read, Chris, means an under rower. Rows of men who sat on rowing benches in the bottom of a boat. So these men rowed at the command of the captain of the ship and they stopped immediately when he said stop. There was one captain and he was in charge. These pastors being boasted about in Corinth were all taking orders from one captive and no stretch to guess who the captain is, Jesus. They weren't out for their own glory. My gosh, we see what happened to all of them. They were not out for their own glory, right? Pastors should never be out for their own glory. Sad to say that is not the case with many, but they should never be out for their own glory. They aren't celebrities to be fawned over. Joel Osteen, I'm talking to you. They've been called to preach what is written in scripture. They're servants. They should be doing what they were commanded to do by Christ. Pastors should understand that they are servants and that they are fellow servants with their congregants. There's nothing special or glorifying about them, except that they've been called to lead a congregation by Christ. You're right, Rose. These pastors are to follow Christ. And another important aspect of that is their congregation isn't who they're to follow. They're following Christ's orders. And that is to preach the gospel. And, you know, it's really hard for us to imagine knowing what we know about the Apostle Paul and that he wrote so much of the New Testament under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, of course. But at least some of this congregation was judging him likely because of his simple gospel message. What does Paul say in answer to their judging? This is what he says. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And that's 1 Corinthians 4 verses 3 and 4. So he doesn't care. Yeah. And Chris, you said Paul had a simple gospel message. Well, it's not because Paul was a simple guy. He was brilliant. Yeah. And it's usually the most brilliant people who can simplify a complex subject. So Paul had a gift for that. Yep. So Paul uses three other down-to-earth examples of what it means to be a pastor besides using the rower-servant example. He says pastors are farmers who plant seed and water it. They do the work, but it's up to God whether or not it grows. And that's in chapter three, verses five to eight. He says, pastors are constructing a building that is built exclusively on the foundation of Jesus Christ. If it's built on anything else, the work is going to be burned up on the last day and the builder pastor will suffer loss. And that's in chapter three, verses 10 to 17. The other example he uses is that pastors are to be faithful stewards of the mysteries of God, meaning the gospel and other truths that God has entrusted to them. And we see that in verse one of chapter four. They're not to be stewards of anything else. And that goes, again, going into chapter four of 1 Corinthians, that's in verse six. Right. And the members of the Corinthian church need to take a lesson from Paul and Apollos. Paul says, be like us. 
First Corinthians four, verse six says, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us not to go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over another. Now, what does he mean by not go beyond what is written? You want to explain that? Sure. Well, Paul's referring back to the six passages of scripture he's already quoted in the letter. The first three, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 19, 1 Corinthians 3, 19, and 3, 20, all condemn the folly of human wisdom. And the last three, which are found in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 31, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and 2, 16, all bear witness to the reliability of God's wisdom, which is incomprehensible. Each of those six verses that Paul says in 1 Corinthians were actually taken from Old Testament scripture. So what does not going beyond these mean? It means don't supplement God's wisdom found in the Bible with worldly ideas, philosophy, or anything else. Like don't add to God's word. Right, right. And we know because he said it over and over and over again that this worldliness is foolish. Yes. It's not true wisdom. And the and fact how- that scripture addresses it so often, you had to think it must have been a serious problem as it is now. It must have been. You know, think about how many pastors use this worldly stuff to sound great to their congregants and people just eat it up. Well, you mentioned one, Joel Osteen. But yeah. Jesse Duplantis. Jesse yeah. Duplantis says God, God asks him for advice. He says, Hey, buddy, I'm thinking about yes, this. He does. Can you give me some advice on what you think? Talk about adding to God's word. That's just horrible. Yeah, he ought to read the part about being burned up at the last day. Yeah. These people are not supposed to be like the world chasing after celebrities. Paul says, don't judge men who are preaching biblically and living godly lives. You have no basis for doing that. This is total arrogance these people have. Paul says that's God's job to judge. Paul's not concerned with men's opinions of him. He's only concerned with the opinion of one. And that's how it should be. Rose, you and I've seen when pastors worry about what their congregants think rather than what the Bible says. Yeah, they worry about what their congregants think. They worry about people in the seats. They worry about money in the plate. That's all worldly stuff. It is. And there have been article after article after article, you know, praising big mega churches. How many members do you have? How many people have you saved? How many people have you baptized? It's all worldly stuff. That's right. And unlike Joel Osteen and Jesse Duplantis and Kenneth Copeland and so many of these others, and even not big names, there's still a lot of bad ones who aren't big names. Jesus apostles suffered. They weren't driving around in limousines and had private planes. They were hungry. They were thirsty. They were poorly dressed. They were homeless. They worked to support themselves. They were persecuted. They were slandered. And they were considered the scum of the world, the refuse of all things, according to 1 Corinthians 4.13. The Corinthians were blessed. Like we said, it was a busy port town. The economy was good. So they thought they were superior in their faith. Sounds a little like a prosperity gospel there. It very much does. 
they thought they were wise, but the truth was, like many people who think they're wise, they're fools. Paul uses irony and sarcasm to point out how wrong they've been in their judgments. Yeah, they had no reason to be puffed up or pitting one group against another. No reason for pride, no reason whatsoever for boastfulness. Why? Because everything they had had been given them by God. Their salvation was from God. All of their gifts and abilities were given to them by God. Everything they had tangible was from God. They didn't achieve any of these things on their own. And here they are judging their pastors who are serving the Lord according to his word and under his authority, working together for their good. The Corinthians were tearing their church apart. They were a bunch of infants in the faith and they didn't even realize it. Yeah. And you almost think of them as toddlers throwing temper tantrums, stomping yeah. their feet, being totally unreasonable for mm -hmm. no reason at all. Yeah. Their prideful boasting and their loyalties at certain leaders, now godly leaders again, not, not lousy leaders. It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. It was their spiritual immaturity and it can be our spiritual immaturity. Right. They had a lot of maturing they needed to do. And Paul is going to dig deeper into their issues in the coming chapters. We are going to get to all those sins that we listed in week one. He's getting there. But Chris, how does what he's saying today about divisions in the church and the pastors, how does all this apply to us? Well, first, I'm going to reiterate, as we've said many times, there is absolutely nothing wrong with calling out false teachers. We are supposed to do that. The question is, are we dividing the church by exalting one solidly biblical pastor over another? Do we find ourselves feeling prideful because we follow a certain pastor or certain pastors? Here's a question. How are we judging what makes a good pastor and one that we don't really like or one that we think isn't a good pastor? That's an excellent question. And it's one that probably has lots of answers, probably many of them not biblical. Other questions we should be asking ourselves. Do we ever skip church because we know the head pastor's on vacation and we don't care for the preaching style of the person filling the pulpit? Or maybe they're bringing a guest pastor in, or you know what I hear a lot, if they're bringing someone like from the mission field to come and speak, people will be like, eh, I don't feel like listening to that. Right. I've heard right. it too. Here's another one. Do we complain to others about the preaching style of some pastors over things like slowness at getting to the point, lack of being a dynamic speaker, or other things that are shallow when the pastor is actually doing what he's been called to do and presenting God's word biblically? Now, being a dynamic speaker is a gift, and it's something that you can hone more over time, but that's not a biblical mandate. No, it's not. It's definitely not. That's the point of a part of this passage. These guys are called to preach the gospel. They're called to give the congregants God's word. And it can be pretty shallow. Some of these things that people say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to church today because I just don't like, I don't like his voice. Rose, one of the churches that we were both members in at the same time had five pastors all at the same time. 
all have the same theology with possibly little minor differences on some secondary issues. Although the lead pastor preached most of the time, we got to hear all of them preach at different times. Each had their own strengths. Each had their weaknesses in preaching. All of them, though, taught deep, correct theology. But it was not unusual to hear one member comment that they liked this one because he uses deep theological terms, while you'd hear somebody else say that they like the down-to-earth layman terms used by a different pastor. We've heard it. We have heard it. I met your current pastor at your mom's funeral, and he said that uh, a friend of ours talks about Bodie Bauckham so much that he feels like he can't compete with them. And I said, well, nobody can compete. If you were going to get someone to be the voice of God, if you were going to record the audible Bible and you needed someone to do the voice of God, Vody would be like first on the list. Yeah. There are those who have those big booming voice, big presence, and those that don't. But like you said, Chris, that's not something that, that we should be choosing not to listen to someone because of it. No. In the church that you were talking about, where we were members of, some members liked or disliked the men for different reasons that had nothing even to do with the preaching. And they'd tell others how they felt. They didn't like their personality. They didn't like their voice or just really stupid things like that. When the truth of the matter is, regardless of their style or their personalities, they all preached the gospel. They were all solid biblical preachers. And yeah. that's the most important thing. They did the job that God had called them to do. And that is what should have mattered to everyone. Our talk can be divisive, even if we don't mean for it to be. I'm guilty of it. I've, I've done it. I've said it. You know, I've thought I knew better. But, you know, sometimes our likes and dislikes can become prideful. It's easy to think that we know better when we actually should realize that we're just being foolish. Pride and judging by the world standards can cause us to miss deep-seated sin that's creeping in. It can happen to a person. It can happen to a whole congregation. It absolutely can. The Corinthian church was gifted, but they weren't using their gifts in a way that was building up the body of Christ. Their pride was taking their eyes off of what was actually going on. Multitudes of sin, as we're going to see in the coming weeks. It can happen to the best of churches. And this is why Jesus offers so many warnings, all the New Testament writers, so many warnings to guard the church, guard the bride of Christ with everything that you have, because it is easy for it to go off the rails and it is too precious to let it happen. Amen to that. And that's a good place to end today. Have a blessed day, everybody.